So as we have mentioned, today is the first Sunday of the season of Lent, which is this time of reflection and preparation for Easter. And today is also the first Sunday of our new series. Before we jump into it, though, I, I was sitting back there and thinking about the, uh, listening to the song and then thinking about this video and then thinking about what I was going to be talking about, not only today, but over the next six weeks and thought it might be uh, it might be helpful if this is your first time, or even if you've been here before and uh, maybe haven't thought about it in a while, to point out something that's actually in our worship handouts that kind of sets us apart from many of uh, many other churches. So right under, we're all new at this, and we grow goodness and uh, our values. One of the things that sets us apart that we talk about is that we're serious about following Jesus and less serious about ourselves and serious about following Jesus but also less serious about ourselves. So uh, uh, we're serious about following Jesus. We're convinced that the way of Jesus, a way of love, grace, inclusion, personal transformation, and justice is the best way to live in the world. And less serious about ourselves, we like to have fun and carry ourselves more casually than other churches. But don't confuse that for a casual approach to faith. We simply enjoy one another and enjoy being the church too much to present ourselves as too buttoned up. I want you to keep these things in mind, not only this morning, but also over the next six weeks, that we're serious about following Jesus and less serious about ourselves, but also pretty serious about following this, this way of Jesus. That is all a preface to this. Do you know what year it is? It's not a trick question. <laughs> 2024. One of the things happening in 2024 that happens every four years is what? The Olympics, thank you. <laughs> That's not what I was going for, but that is true. Less serious about ourselves, right? Uh, the Olympics does happen every four years. Leap year, okay. This is not what I was going for, but also true. I did not think this through. Um, it's a presidential election year. Oh, the groans. Yes, we're all excited for another presidential election. No, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, you're probably super excited. Let's talk about the Olympics instead. All right, we're going to pivot. No. Um, it's a presidential election year. We're all really excited about another presidential election year, right? We're excited about all the yelling and screaming and panic attacks and all the good stuff that comes with the uh, presidential election every, every four years. Um, it, it's often said that you ought to keep politics out of church. And um, I completely empathize with that perspective. And, and one of the reasons I completely empathize with that perspective is because of the tradition in which I grew up, the Christian church tradition in which I grew up. This was something that we often said, keep politics out of church. And then we got into the practice of it. And you would walk into the sanctuary and there was an American flag up on the stage alongside the Christian flag, but the American flag was there and really was more prominent than this Christian flag. Um, and then um, you're supposed to keep politics out of church, but then we would talk about these inherently political things and talk about using our, uh, using our faith to, to promote faith and uh, push for policies and for elected officials who would, who would go for those those policies, and so even though we were supposed to keep politics out of faith, we talked a lot about um, abortion and about same-sex marriage and about um, all, all of these, these other things that, you know, are 
pretty political, actually, once you, you dig into it. Uh, but that was like the, the, the context in which I grew up. So I didn't know anything other than that. This is just what you did as someone who went to church and as, as a Christian. And then I went off to college. And then I, I started learning more about the world and learning about what that type of perspective did, what kind of impact it had, not only on the larger world, but on the church itself. And I started thinking like, there's got to be a better, more Jesus-like way of doing this. And so it was during that time when I got exposed to and then started reading and listening to these people who were, who sometimes they called themselves uh, ordinary radicals or uh, red-letter Christians. Have you ever heard of this? So uh, it was these people who uh, took the, the words of Jesus very seriously, went to the Bible and said, we need to focus on what Jesus actually said, and uh, we need to make sure that we don't mix religion and politics because of all of the bad that it has done. And one, one of the people who was pretty prominent in, in this movement was named Tony Campolo, and one of his uh, most famous quotes is this one, uh, mixing religion and politics is like mixing ice cream and manure. Doesn't do much to the manure, but it does ruin the ice cream. Ice cream, of course, being the church. Uh, so the, this really resonated with me, and it might resonate with you. And so there was this period of time when I decided, uh, alongside the, these prominent people and prominent voices, that, you know what, the best most faithful thing to do as a follower of Jesus is to completely uh, remove myself from the political environment. The best, most faithful thing is to live out my faith quietly to myself. Uh, don't worry about voting or anything because that's engaging in, in the politics of the world. And as the church, we ought not to, to do that. Um, here's the thing. I then started reading the Bible some more, and I started reading some more of those uh, red letters, focusing on those red letters, taking the words of Jesus seriously. And uh, the more you read the life of Jesus and his words, the more you find that Jesus talked a lot about politics. I mean, a lot. Like, G Jesus primarily talked about politics. That might be news to you. Now, here, here's the thing. It, it's not that Jesus was talking about partisanship. He wasn't talking about Republicans and, and Democrats, and he wasn't, like, aligning himself with, with uh, political parties. And, in fact, in those ways, there were, there were many ways in which he, like, rejected those types of factions in his world 2,000 years ago. However, politics in the most literal and most original uh, version of the word where uh, power comes to play and influence and systems come into play and how they impact everyday lives in in our world jesus was talking about this stuff all of the time in fact the central thing that he was talking about was not about uh how, how to get saved so that you can go to heaven someday uh, jesus was not usually talking about um, how, how he came to forgive your sins. Jesus primarily talked about the number one thing that he was talking about over and over and over again, and then he handed off to his followers to, to talk about, was this, this concept of the kingdom of God. 
And if you think about it, a kingdom in itself is inherently political. It is like a physical place in the real world where there is a king and there are policies that are meant to be enacted under the, the rule of that king. That might make you feel uncomfortable. The idea that, that Jesus was talking about politics and expects us to p- talk about uh, politics as well and, and powers and, and systems and how they impact our world and everyday life. But if we're going to take Jesus seriously, then we can't ignore this. And if we're not going to ignore it, then we might as well say, well, if Jesus was talking about this stuff, how can we take it seriously and apply it to our everyday lives in the here and now? So over the next six weeks, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're talking about the the series is called Kingdom Come, and we're talking about what it looks like for us to take the politics the, the power and the systems and all of that that Jesus talked about seriously. And each week we're going to talk about a different policy uh, that, that uh, the uh, ways of governing and living in the world that uh, is unique to the kingdom of God as Jesus was talking about and what that means for us in the here and now, what the expectations of us in the here and now are. Um, fortunately, we've got a lot of material to work with. <laughs> Jesus talked about this all the time. And his biographers, uh, which wrote down his stories and included them in the Bibles that we have, talked about it all the time, including from the very beginning of their biographies. So just as an example, the one that we're going to look at today is the biography written by Luke. Uh, And from the very beginning, Luke is uh, coloring the story of Jesus in, in very political language. So there is this announcement that happens that this, uh, that this Jesus is going to be born, and it's like the announcement of a new king that's going to be born. Uh, then he is born, and he's brought to the temple, and the temple is, uh, the, the person at the temple realizes, oh, this is the king. This is the long-awaited king that we have been waiting for. He then grows up, he is baptized, and this baptism is like the anointing of a new king. And then he goes and he, he is about to begin his public ministry. And as someone who is engaged in politics, who's about to start a new thing does, he goes and he makes his first campaign announcement. Uh, and, and we get that campaign announcement in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. They're going to be up here on the screen behind me. Now, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to tell them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled, even as you hear it being read. So like any good campaign launch event, especially for like a presidential candidate, you go back to your hometown. So Jesus goes back to his hometown, and he stands up in this public place, to give this speech, and for for Jesus it meant that he was uh, in the synagogue, and uh, he is given this scroll and reads from this this old, old story from Isaiah 61. 
And this was a very well-known passage at the time because it talked about what it would be like when, uh, when the king that God had sent would come to reestablish God's kingdom. And this is what it would be like. So Jesus, in giving this inaugural address, stands up, reads these words that people would have been familiar with and probably would have heard him reading and thought, oh, those will be the days. We cannot wait for those days. And Jesus drops the mic and says, that's me. That king that you have been waiting for and the kingdom that you have been long awaiting that we've been talking about for centuries, it's here in me. And those policies that are being talked about as well, where there's good news from the, for the poor and the oppressed are going to be set free and the blind are going to be made to see and that God is on our side. This is the time of God's blessing. It is coming through me now. The kingdom of God is now here. He then doubles down on this in the, the verses that follow. Just a few verses later, this is what he says. The next morning, Jesus departed and went to a deserted place. Yet the crowds were seeking him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But Jesus said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too. For that is what I was sent to do. So he continued to preach in the synagogues of Judea. Those two words, good news of the kingdom of God, uh, in the original language and in ancient Greek, those are actually one word. And the one word is euangelion. Uh, you might not be familiar with this word, but you're probably familiar with some of the words that kind of de derive from this. Euangelion is where we get the word uh, evangelist or evangelical. Um, you can hear like gel, like angel in it, like a messenger. So this is good news. One of the other ways that this gets translated, though, it would have been translated like in, in this spot, is gospel. You all familiar with the word gospel, probably? You've heard it in some some capacity. Uh, there's lots of different ways that people over the years have tried to define gospel. And like we have said before, some people might define gospel as, well, it's the good news that uh, Jesus came and died for your sins so that you can go to heaven someday. Um, however, what gospel is, again, in its original context in this setting 2,000 years ago and half the world away, it's a political statement. You, you might even say that gospel is propaganda. Uh, the Roman Empire, the Roman emperor had his own gospel. The good news of Caesar was that peace was coming. It might come through military force and killing all of his enemies, but that was good news. There is gospel. And so for Jesus to stand up and say, I am here not to save people's sins so that they can go to heaven someday. The reason I have been sent is to bring this gospel of the kingdom. He was making a political statement about the here and now and what the expectations were for the, the, the world in which he would govern and the people who would be under his influence, right? 
And the expectation would be that the people who were following him would pick up on that gospel and share that propaganda as well. I don't know how that makes you feel. It might make you feel a little awkward. It made lots of people feel awkward 2,000 years ago, too. Um, the people who were following Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and either got in on it or not. And all of their enemies knew exactly what he was up to as well. They knew that he was saying something very political. And what it meant was that uh, it got them into a lot of trouble. I mean, it ends up getting Jesus killed. I hope that didn't ruin anything for you. Uh, ends up getting Jesus killed, and it ends up getting most of his followers killed as well. But it also meant that many more people took interest in it and wanted to be a part of that type of kingdom. And all of, the, uh, all of his, his followers knew this as well, and they realized in order to be a part of this kingdom, in order to uh, be a part of this good news, they had to pick up that gospel, and they had to become propagandists. They had to become evangelists, and they had to be ones who brought this good news, this gospel, this politics, and all of the policies to the world in which they found themselves. So don't, get, don't mishear me. The, the kingdom of God is nothing less than revolutionary. That is the expectation. And so, for us living 2,000 years later, the expectation as well is, if we are, are willing to take Jesus seriously, we have to be engaged in this stuff as well. And be ones who bring this type of message and this type of life and this type of world into existence. So, over the next six weeks, we are going to be talking about these types of policies. A kingdom where everyone's needs are met, where everyone is valued, where the humble, meek, and oppressed are lifted up, where everyone is included, and where systems of injustice are confronted. So, for the next six weeks, we are going to be learning how to be evangelicals. <laughs> How's that sit? All right, let me try again. For the next six weeks, we're going to be learning how to be propagandists. <laughs> Probably doesn't sit great either. One last one. How about for the next six weeks, our goal together, me and, and all of you, is to learn better how to grow goodness by being good citizens who try to make the world as it is more like the world that God would wish for it to be. Does that sound a little bit better? Does that sound fair? Uh, it's not only fair, I would argue that it's also revolutionary. So, may that be so.